morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope. As Pastor Wendy said, my name is Pastor Justin. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And this morning, we are going to be in Exodus chapter 15. So if you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus 15 and 16 today. If you don't have a Bible, there's a free one on our front desk. That's for you after the service. Grab it on your way out. You can take that home. Bibles are super expensive, so... Feel free to to take a free one home. We're going to be in the Bible every single week. So if you want to bring your Bible to church every week, we would love for you to follow along with us. But we're going to be in Exodus 15, 16 today. And I'm going to kind of recap the past month because I want us to fully understand where the Israelites are at in their story in the Exodus. Exodus starts off with the birth of Moses, and Moses is a miracle in and of himself. We're going to get to that in a minute, but Moses is born as the Israelite leader. He is going to be one to lead the Hebrews out of slavery in Egypt, because Pharaoh and the Egyptians... They have the, the Israelites in slavery, working hard for them, doing everything that they have. They're taking care of them a little bit, but they're really in slavery. And then God sends these plagues on Pharaoh. He says, let my people go. We all know the old Sunday school song, but he says, let my people go free. And he sends these plagues when Pharaoh wouldn't let them go free. Pharaoh finally lets up. And he says, I will send the Israelites out. But then he changes his mind. And as the Israelites are wandering out of Egypt into their promised land that God had promised them, Here come the Egyptians, nipping at their heels, ready to get them back. And they come to this body of water called the Red Sea. The Red Sea was their big crossroads moment in their journey out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Because it's this moment of, they can no longer, they no longer have control over what's happening next. Because they didn't carry boats with them. Might have been a good idea, although it's really inconvenient, right? So they don't know what to do as they get to this body of water. And they call on God, and God parts the waters. They go across the sea, and right after they get across the sea, God slams the waters back. All the Egyptians die, which it's a Sunday school story, but it's very tragic. <laughs> Tons of people died. But, so the, the, the Egyptians are now dead, and the Israelites are free now to head towards their promised land. This is the part of the story that we're in, though is that the Israelites now have already crossed. They had their big pinnacle moment. They already crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in a desert, and they don't know how long. Now, that's the, that's the very short recap of almost the entire book of Exodus. I wish the Bible is that short sometimes. It'd be a lot easier to read, but that's where we're at today. And I want you to hear how the Israelites responded to miracle after miracle. We're going to go to Exodus 15, 1 through 3, and here's what it says. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This is the song that the Israelites sang out to God. They worshiped God because of what he had done for them. He had brought them out of slavery across the Red Sea that they could not cross by themselves. God worked a miracle. And I want you to see that pattern of miracles throughout this entire book of Exodus. I'll jump back to Moses, but Moses was born as just a normal Hebrew baby, but his mom saw something special about Moses. Now, when he was born, there was a law, there was a mandate in Egypt that every firstborn Hebrew boy must be put to death, a lot like the situation of Jesus. But like I said, Moses' mom saw that there was something special about Moses. So she puts him into a basket that she made that's waterproof. She sends him off into the Nile River, and he miraculously gets picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, raised, and he lives. It's a miracle by God. A few years later, 
when God is calling Pharaoh to get the Israelites out of slavery, and Pharaoh won't do it, God repeatedly sends plagues. He sends 10 plagues onto Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And there's a bunch of different plagues. And it's hard to see this as a miracle because it's such a sort of a dire situation. But this is God intervening in the life of the Israelites in order to get them out. It's, it's a miracle. And then the Israelites get to the Red Sea, and God then again shows up. So I want us to see this pattern of miracles because so many times we become just like the Israelites. As we praise God in the midst of all the miracles that he's doing for us, what happens after they cross the Red Sea? If you know your Bible, the the Israelites are in the desert for 40 years. They wander in the desert for 40 years after they cross the Red Sea. Now, God didn't tell them, I'm going to make you wander the desert for 40 years. And so they get across thinking that they're heading to their promised land. But then it all kind of stops. And they're wondering, well, what's next? Right? We just had this major pinnacle moment that God brought us through this, this Red Sea. But now where are we going? And very quickly, their worship, their song that they sang to God, very quickly turns to bitterness, frustration, and questioning. And if you ask me, and we read this story, I'm, from my perspective and from our perspective, as we read all these miracles in the book of Exodus, we might think, Israelites, come on, right? How could you get bitter? How could you get frustrated? How could you have any question? If God has done it here, won't God do it here? You have to believe. And one of my favorite verses, Second Opinions 1.1, says, just believe, you dummy. Right? Just trust God, you dummy. This is our response, I think, to the Israelites so obvious, so, so often. I think, and I think that there's a time and a place for a sermon like that, where all of us need to sort of more bluntly hear those words of, if God has done it before, God's going to do it again. You need to trust and you need to believe. And, and there's a time and a place for that. But sometimes I think, as people who read the Bible on a page, we forget that it's actually a real story with real people. We sort of detach the fact that, These are real people walking through this. And yes, God has brought them through so much. God has brought them through so much, doing miracle after miracle after miracle. But just like you and me, these are human beings. And I don't know about you. I am perfect, but I don't know about you. I have a really hard time trusting God. Even when God has brought me through and my family brought me through time after time again, I think, God, what's next? I don't know where you are. I'm scared. I'm frustrated. I can't see the future. I don't know where I'm going. Help! And if you're not going to help now, then I'm backing away. (laughs) Let's be honest. This is our response. And it's because we're imperfect human beings. I'll never forget a few years ago, my wife and I were were very smart. We went to really expensive expensive colleges. (laughs) We graduated with a mountain of debt, which was really fantastic. Um, but our plan to get out of debt was to flip a house. We thought, you know, here's a great opportunity. We found a house. It was a great deal. And we thought, man, we can live in it for a couple of years, enjoy the lake, and then we can sell it, make a profit, and pay off our, our student loans. And we're thinking, this is perfect. Nothing's going to go wrong. <laughs> we get into this house, and it was a great house. We loved it. I, I didn't want to sell it because I fell in love with Skogman Lake. But we get into this house, and we're thinking, you know, we're going to tear down this wall. We're going to open this up. We're going to clean out this. And pretty quickly, our rough estimate of, you know, maybe we'll put 10 grand into the house turned into 20. And then we're running out of money. And I remember sitting on the floor of my daughter's future bedroom, like, God, we have no money. 
problem after problem after problem has gone wrong. I owe these people money because they did work on my house, but I feel like I don't have any money if I pay them. Like, what, what's going to happen? Now, before this all happened, we're praising God because he brought us into a great situation where we're like, man, we could flip this house. We could do really well. We could pay for loans. We could be debt-free. It'd be amazing. And so we're all psyched about it. But then it gets really hard. And we're praising God for bringing us this house, but then we're questioning God because it's not going exactly how I thought it was going to go. And this is how we are as human beings. Now, the whole situation worked out. And God, I think God worked another miracle. And he, he brought us through. He provided for us in miraculous ways. And we're not quite debt free yet, but we're on our way. And God was just so good in this process. But this is how the Israelites are feeling. They're thinking, yes, God has brought us through so much, but what about now? Where is God now? In fact, here's their response in Exodus 16, 2 through 3. It says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, and this is the, this is the best part, this is their sarcasm right here. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You know, oftentimes, if you're, if you're married, um, wives will tell their husbands, you have selective hearing. <laughs> I get that a lot. But to me, when I read this, this is selective memory. I mean, can you imagine? You are in slavery, Life is not that great, and God is promising you a way out. And your response when it gets hard is, oh, I wish I was back in slavery. At least I had food to eat. <laughs> they're remembering the meat and the food, but they're not remembering the chains that were around them and the forced labor and the daily life that they lived. This is selective memory. But oftentimes, this is how we respond when things aren't going our way. This is how we respond to God when we're confused and we're frustrated. We remember certain things that used to be good, and then we forget the bad. There have been times in my life, and I'll, I'll be honest, as a pastor, it's, it's, it's difficult, but there have been times in my life where I have wished that I could just go back to my life before Jesus. Because when life is hard and God's not showing up just in my timing, I think, you know what, God, forget you. I'm going to go back to partying. I'm going to go back to just living to please myself and what I want to do instead of living to please you. God, this is too hard. It's too difficult. It's too frustrating. And then I think to myself, I don't want to go back to that moment. I don't want to go back to who I was before Jesus because what identified my life before Jesus wasn't the fun and the partying. What identified my life before Jesus was loneliness, isolation, sin, and depression. And that's where selective memory comes in. I think, man, I just wish I could go back to before Jesus. But before Jesus, I was extremely unhappy. I was extremely sinful. I needed forgiveness. I needed redemption. I needed a new life. And yet I tell myself, yeah, that, that was better. And I think many of us, we get into situations like this as well. Right? God works miracle after miracle after miracle in our life. Maybe you, you remember the day when God saved you, when he redeemed you, and, and life was great. You know, maybe you have a story like me, and you went from drugs and alcohol and partying and just doing whatever you wanted to do, and all of a sudden God pulled you out of the pit, and now you have a new life, and you're feeling so good about God. But then your best friend passes away. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you get a scary health diagnosis that... You're thinking, God, you brought me through all this stuff. Now life is hard. This is the truth about being a Christian. I think a lot of times we romanticize what it means to have faith in Jesus. 
You know, we're sinful people. Pastor promises a message of freedom and forgiveness if you just follow Jesus. And so you do that. But then when life gets hard, you're like, what happened, Jesus? I'll say this, that suffering, suffering and questioning and frustration, if that causes us to leave our relationship with God, or if that causes us to say, you know what, God, I'm walking away for a while, that's not going to bring you more joy or freedom than sticking with God in the midst of the trial. See, the, the Israelites are in the middle of a desert. And for us here in Cambridge, Minnesota, we walk outside, there's no deserts around. But our desert is a figurative desert. If you're going through a difficult situation right now, maybe the death of a family member, maybe crippling debt, or maybe you lost your job, whatever it could be, this is your desert. And the answer for you isn't to get frustrated and mad and walk away from God. That's not going to bring you more joy. That's not going to bring you any sort of freedom. It might feel good to be like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want to do from now on because I'm mad at God. It might feel good in the moment, but it's not going to bring you lasting confidence, joy, or security. And so what I think God is trying to teach the Israelites in this moment of their suffering, of their desert moment, is that instead of using suffering as an opportunity for us to walk away from God, we need to use suffering as an opportunity to get close to God. A few years ago, an amazing movie about Fred Rogers, who's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, that old TV show that we all love. I love that you can watch it as a toddler and you can watch it as like a 60-year-old and you can still love it because <laughs> it's so good. But Fred Rogers had Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He's one of the, the sweetest, nicest guys. And there was a, a journalist who wanted to write a whole article about his entire life. And he was honest. If you've seen the movie that came out about three years ago, this journalist was honest about his intentions. He said, yeah, I want to chronicle his life, but I also want to see if there's any skeletons in his closet. Because this journalist had some bitterness in his own life, and what he wanted to do was take down somebody who, was, who seemed to be so perfect. But as they got to know each other, Fred Rogers and this journalist, as they got to know each other, they struck up a friendship. And it's amazing that Fred was going to be the one who, when, when this journalist's dad was on his deathbed, Fred was there. And that's a powerful moment about, you know, talk about we need people getting in a hope group, right? You need people around you. That's a powerful picture in and of itself. But there's this powerful moment in, this, in the movie, and it happened in real life where this guy's dad is on his deathbed, and Fred leans over and he whispers something in his ear before he leaves the house, and in the movie, you can't hear it, but he walks outside with the man's son, and the guy's like, so what, what'd you tell my dad? And he said, I asked him to pray for me, because anybody who's going through what he's going through must be so close to God. And I thought, that is a powerful moment about the truth of suffering. That's sure, we can back up, and we can get frustrated, we can get mad at God, and we can say, God, how could you put me in a situation like this? Yes, you've crossed the Red Sea. Yes, you parted the waters. But God, look where I am now. Instead of using this as an opportunity to say, yeah, life is difficult. I just got diagnosed with something, or my, my grandma just passed away, or I just lost my job, and using that as an opportunity to get closer to God. This is what we call in the church world spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is all about learning how to use suffering to get you close to God. Learning to use difficult situations to get you close to God. And so often we run, but I want to challenge us as a church that if we get angry and frustrated, and I think it's okay, 
to get angry and frustrated with God sometimes, but I want to challenge us to not run from him. Because I bet that if you looked at your life today, no matter how messy your life has been, or maybe honestly how relatively easy your life has been. Some of us have lived pretty easy lives, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But no matter how messy or how easy, I bet that you could look back on the last 10, 20, 30 years of your life and say, yep, that was God, that was God, and that was God. And you may be sitting here today thinking, God, I need you to move again. And the challenge that God has for us today through the Israelites and for us, us is that we need to believe and trust that God can do it time and time and time again. He is good. He is faithful. And if God can bring you to it, if he's going to bring you to it, he can bring you through it. This is, a, this is the goodness of God. And it brings me to Philippians chapter 4.13. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me, gives me strength. And oftentimes we connect this to kicking a field goal. And if we could, you know, I wish the Vikings could <laughs> pray more, maybe, right? You can do all things through Christ. No, but it's not about kicking a fuel goal or doing good on a test. What Paul is talking about when he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Paul is living in poverty, in jail. The Roman government is trying to push him down to keep him suppressed so he doesn't keep sharing the good news of Jesus. And what Paul says, he's like, it doesn't matter how rich I am, how poor I am, what life situation I am in or what life situation I'm not in. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's the truth of what the Israelites need in this time. And I think that's the truth of what God is trying to convey to us in this story is that it doesn't matter what we go through. We can have peace. We can be content if we lean on God. If we call on his name to be our savior, our Lord, our redeemer, our sustainer, God is good and he is faithful. And I think that this is where he's pointing us to. If we go further into the story in Exodus 16, 9 through 12, when the Israelites are complaining and they're frustrated, here's Moses' response and here's God's response. It says, then Moses told Aaron, said, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord for he has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was, a there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. What does God teach us in his response to the Israelites? That it doesn't matter what we go through, good things or bad things. It doesn't matter if we're living in a spiritual high or if we feel like we are in our own figurative desert in our lives. What does God do? He hears the grumbling and complaining. God is a wonderful counselor. He hears us. And I know it's so hard in the moment when you desperately need God to do something to work a miracle in your life and it's not working out and you're uber specific timing. I know it's so hard to, to be like, okay, you know what? God's just not there. He's not listening. He's not doing what I need him to do. He's just not there. But it's in those times where we need to recognize that, you know what? Our feelings, we feel like God isn't listening to us. How many times do your feelings lie to you? How many times do, does your desires, your feelings, and your own brain, how, how many times does it lie to you? All the time. 
the reality and the truth of what the Bible teaches us. In the book of Psalms, it says that God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. What we have to realize is that even when God feels far away or it feels like he's not listening, it doesn't convey the truth of the reality that God hears our cries, he hears our prayers, and in our desperate times of desolation and darkness, he hears what you are going through. And that truth alone gives me confidence and it gives me hope. That even if God doesn't work out the situation exactly how I want it, he hears me. He hears my prayers. He is a heavenly father who hears the cries of his sons and daughters. And that's a beautiful thing. But what else does God do? He says, I will give you meat in the evening and I'm going to give you bread in the morning. God is a provider. And all the things that the Israelites missed in Egypt, having their food, even though they were in slavery, but they still had their food, that was their complaint. God says, you know what? I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be your provider. I'm going to be your sustainer. And I'm going to give you what you need every single day. And when he says the bread of light, or when he says the bread, that automatically points us to who is the bread of life. It's Jesus. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching his disciples And he was teaching them about who he was. And he brings up this Exodus story. It says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my heavenly Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven, and it gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I love the depth of the Bible. Because we can read this and say, oh, that's good. God gave them bread, right? He fed them. But while God is practically feeding them, he's also appointing them to a future spiritual truth, a spiritual reality that yes, food is good and I'm going to provide that for you. But in a few years, I am going to provide for you a savior and a Messiah who's going to sustain you spiritually. When we get hungry, we know it. Our stomachs start rumbling. I'm going to be hungry after I preach four services today. (laughs) We get hungry and we feel it. But the loneliness, the sin, the desolation of our lives, that That makes us spiritually hungry. When you feel anxious, you are spiritually hungry. When you feel depressed, you are spiritually hungry. Something in your soul isn't right, and you need to be fed, you need to be sustained, and the answer is Jesus. He has came as our Savior and our Messiah, our Redeemer, and our bread of life. Yes, he died on the cross, but every single day he continues to be with us. That it doesn't matter what we go through in life. It doesn't matter what desert we might feel like we're in. If we've been given a bad diagnosis, if we have a family member who's passed away, if we lose our job, our peace of mind does not have to be shaken. Because who do we have? Jesus, the bread of life, our sustainer, our provider, the one who gives us the spiritual food that we need, the one who fills our souls and who takes the hunger pain away. He is the answer. And I love that what God has given the Israelites in their meat and in their bread, he gives it to them in the morning. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading too far into this now. Maybe it's a stretch. But what do we need every single morning when we wake up? We need Jesus. And we know that 
When we wake up and we try to face life without the bread of life, and we get started, we go off to work, we go off to school, we go off to, and we just get into the busyness of our day without being sustained by Jesus first. And that can lead you to, to losing your peace. It can lead you to walking into anxiousness or walking into sin or whatever it could be leading you specifically into. I don't know your situation today, but what I want to challenge us in is to believe and trust that Jesus is our sustainer and our provider every single day. And I want you to look at your life. Look back on the last 5, 10, maybe 20 years, and I want you to see what God has done. I want you to see the miracle after miracle after miracle that God has done for you and your family in your life. And if you're facing a difficult situation today, I want to challenge and encourage you to trust God. And I'm not going to read from Second Opinions 1-1 and say, just trust God, you dummies. <laughs> that was the Israelite sarcasm. But I want to lead us to truly trust God, to believe in him, that if he can do it here, he can do it here. It's not if God is going to do it, it's when God is going to do it. That's what the Israelites were struggling with. They were wondering, you know, God, you brought us here. Are you going to do it here? The question for them is, wasn't if, it was when. And the question for us isn't if, it's when. God loves you. He provides for you. Our job is to turn to him. Trust God. He will take care of you. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we love you. We praise you. God, you are a good and gracious God. You take care of the Israelites. You take care of us. And I pray that through this Exodus story, we can see these powerful moments that you led the Israelites through. And we can take that and we can apply it to our lives and say, God, if you can do it for them, you can do it for us. If anybody here today is struggling with the death of a family member or the loss of a job or a difficult medical diagnosis, whatever it could be in our lives, God, if we're struggling today, God, would you hear our cries? And may we not turn away from you and get frustrated with you and just walk away from faith. But God, may we use suffering, may we use our desert moment as an opportunity to know you on a deeper level, to be intimate in our relationship with you. God, be our provider, be our bread of life. We need you today. It's in your name I pray, amen.